0: everyone and welcome to chapter 33 of the let's give a damn podcast. My name is Nick, I'm your host, and this is my chance to sit down and talk with people who are doing amazing things in the world, both great and small, because they saw a need and they gave a damn about it. And every one of those things matters so much. Today is a special episode because it's our first live episode. A couple weeks ago, I got to spend time with a few dozen folks in a beautiful room in Nashville to interview uh, Barrett Ward from Fashionable. We did that live. There were some talks that were given that were shorter by some other people. There were two of my musician friends that came in and played music. We had snacks. We had beer. We had LaCroix, of course. It was a beautiful night. It was so much fun. And we're going to share some of that with you. Thankfully, you won't have to sit through all two, two and a half hours of it because a lot of it wouldn't make sense because you weren't there live, but we're going to give you uh, an hour or so of it during this podcast episode. So let's just get going. I'm going to intro the first little section here. Uh, Last week on the podcast, you heard from Miles Adcox, the CEO and owner of Onsite Workshops. He shared a little bit that evening live with our audience, and I want to share it with you. He had a few things that he did live with the audience that there'll be some silences because you weren't there and he asked people in the crowd to do stuff. But stick with me. I want you to listen to the whole thing because I think you'll find many parts of it very valuable. He dropped some serious truth bombs in there, very wise words, and I think you will find it very interesting and very helpful. So uh, let's get right into that section right now. Here's a short talk given by Miles Adcox at our live podcast recording. Here we go.
1: So I, uh, I'm honored to be here. I love what we're here for. And I have an organization called OnSite. And we've got a 100-acre retreat center west of town, and uh, we've got uh, 85 beds, and we run personal growth and therapeutic retreats, and I've also got a long-term program for trauma and mental health. And I could tell you a lot about what we do, but I'd love to give you a quick snapshot about um, who we are and maybe how it might relate to what we're all here for tonight. So if you'd be willing, uh, if you'd stand up with me. So about a little over 15 years ago, I was somebody walking around professionally who had experienced um, a lot of success for my age. And um, if you would have seen me, you would have thought, there's a guy that's got it together. What you weren't able to see was that I had become really good at armoring up a lot of sadness and pain. Uh, from an early imprint that I got that I just never reconciled and dealt with and never knew I had permission to talk about. And so slowly depression started eating at me until I couldn't, I couldn't continue to live the act. And the act caught up with me and I had a face plant, right? People came around me at the right time. And I fell in love with the change process because the change process changed my life. And uh, I got uh, emotionally well, emotionally fit, and I've been on the track to do it uh, with a lot of people ever since. But one of the things I've learned along the way, and I'll show you guys really quickly, and I've just, I'm fascinated by, I'm a kind of a neuroscience nerd, so I love the way the brain works and uh, how we change as human beings. And one of the things I can tell you about the brain is that the ability that the brain has to see itself, it can change itself. But unfortunately, most counseling, personal growth coaching, most of our abilities to attempt to change other human beings is largely through talk. It shocks me that the counseling profession is a talking profession because information alone doesn't change people long-term. Advertisers know that, and they use psychology way better than we do. What we know is that image, if we put things into kinesthetic and we put it into motion, it has the ability to reach the part of our brain where we actually change behavior. So if you I want to kind of show you that, if you will. So if you would... if. Uh, You'd be willing to close your eyes and if you got a bad knee then be careful but if you don't 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 do this exercise if you do or use your chair but if you don't then close your eyes and I'm gonna have you stand on one foot ready go got okay, the guy in the back has got a new dance move I need to learn Kind of twerkish, kind of. <laughs> so, okay, open them up. Both feet on the ground. How was that? Okay, tell me about it. Why was it hard? Dizzy, yeah. looked like it was out of balance. There was a lot of people kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Rapid fire leg motion in the back from the bartender. That's a good sign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so here's what we have a tendency to do. Would, would somebody be willing to come up for just a moment? I won't embarrass you, I promise. I'm just, yeah, come on up. Thanks. Now if you'd just stand right here. So the ability that the brain can see itself, it can heal itself, as I said. But here's the way we typically uh, walk into life and relationships and professions. Because life is going to deliver Adverse circumstances, nobody's gonna escape that. And so it's always gonna have us a little off balance and what can happen is when we're off balance, but we're not awake, then we're gonna reach out to anything we can find. And let me tell you what you are for me right now. Technology and work. That's what I'm using to numb and hide. But for you, it might be addiction. It might be anxiety, it might be depression, it might be pornography, it might be anything. Whatever we use to medicate, numb, or hide emotion is where this comes in really handy. Because this, momentarily, feels better than this. Right? Can anybody relate to having one of these? Shopping, you name it. Thank you, come on down. Now I want you to try something else. Eyes open, looking forward, stand on one foot. What do you notice? To the ability that the brain can see itself, it can heal itself. What self-awareness, what taping, thank you guys, have a seat. Self-awareness or taking a deeper look at our story, reconciling the parts of our narrative that aren't working for us. And nobody escapes that, by the way gives us the opportunity to wake up, become emotionally fit, and be self-aware. And when we're self-aware, we have the ability to take on adverse life circumstances without reaching out to Medicaid. And I'm somebody who, again, we're always gonna do it. I'm a new dad and I'm trying to be as present as I possibly can, and I've got other distractions pulling me away as fast as they possibly can. And unless I'm awake and in tune and know what's going on and have the ability to empathize with my process and give myself as much grace as I'm trying to give my new son, then you better believe if I'm in the helping profession or if I'm trying to give it to him, and my guess is a lot of you are here because you do, so you're probably trying to do cool things in the world and you probably already are doing cool things in the world. There's something that bookends compassion a lot, and it's called fatigue. You ever heard of compassion fatigue? That's one of the things that we work with a lot at the program that I run. We work with artists and creatives and NGOs and people who are making huge, guess what? It's one of the highest burnout rates of any profession in the, on the planet. It chews people up in about a year or two. And I think our job is if we're gonna get into this and we're gonna take the risk to walk into the world and try to make a difference, and there has never been a more important time on the planet to walk into the world and make a difference right now. The world is more divided than it's ever been. And it needs our voice now more than it's ever needed it. And I think the fastest, most impactful way that we can walk into and create change in the world is with a deep understanding, a deep compassion, and deep empathy on who we are, where we've been, and who we're becoming. That's the beauty of this thing. And that's the gift that we get to give each other, is that when we walk into something emotionally fit, we create sustainable change. And it starts from the inside out. So that's all the invitation that I have for you tonight. I I know I didn't tell you a lot about what I do. Look up uh, on site if you would, if you want to learn more, people come out and stay a few days or a week at a time. And then we've got a foundation too that is working with some vulnerable populations around race relations and and veterans and first responders and people that experience trauma in the line of duty. So we're doing some really cool stuff, but I want to start with you because that's the most important paradigm I think we could shift. And I don't think we need a 180. Somebody out here's wheels might be falling off. But most likely, you're all probably doing pretty well. And I'm not asking you to change 180 degrees, but a two-degree shift over time does like this. And when we wake up emotionally, we take the longest journey that mankind ever takes, which is 18 inches from here to here. And what a beautiful journey it is. It's one of the most amazing things I've ever ever experienced. And I'd love to say, rah, rah, I'm emotionally fit. I got all my shit together. (laughs) Um, But I don't. But what happens is, is I have a a deep well of empathy on myself and my process. It keeps me spiritually rooted. And I get to walk around looking at myself different than I ever have. Because I used to be one of the hardest human beings on the planet on me and my process. Anybody relate to that voice? We're human beings, so we're naturally born to do that. So anyway, I want you to give a damn, but I want you to start by giving a damn about yourself. Because I think that's the way we go out and make difference in the world. I'll close with this. when I walked in, uh, there was 10 bucks right at the door back there. And I was going to get up here and say, who wants their 10 bucks back? But instead, I'm going to say, who would like to give 10 bucks? What is it? Is it Jeremy's organization? You're honored. Who'd like to give 10 bucks to preemptive love? Who'd like to give 10 bucks to preemptive love? Anybody? No, 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 not from you. This 10 bucks, this 10 bucks. Who'd like to give this 10 bucks to preemptive love? Okay, we got one guy. We got two. Just two of you, a few more. So I'm just going to ask until you guys are ready. Here it is. Whoever wants it. It's a good thank you. Give that to Jeremy's group. Um, I can't, I can't, t- I, d- I did that on purpose, but I can't tell you how many times I've set my chair and raised my hand. And what I want to invite you to do tonight is we don't always know what we need to do, but when somebody invites us or we see an invitation or an opening, we get up and walk towards it. Because often it's not that we need the resources, the resources are out here, we just need to execute. We need to get out of our chair and walk towards it when we don't know what to do, just like you did. So thank you. Thanks, guys.
0: Hope you found that helpful, friends. Next up is Ashley Real. She founded Love Everywhere. You are going to hear more about that. Uh, We've shared about Love Everywhere on social media. We're going to do an interview with her soon, a longer one, but for now, Um, actually I haven't asked her if if we can do an interview but I assume we can so if you're listening to this Ashley the the ask is coming soon but she's a special lady Uh, their family is awesome and so Ashley started Love Everywhere and you're going to hear more about that here for two or three minutes she shared live with us and now you get to hear all about Love Everywhere I hope you will check them out
2: Hi My name is Ashley and I have an organization called Love Everywhere and it is my passion to write kind notes and leave them hidden in plain sight for strangers to find. Um, I have a ton of cards with me and it would make me so happy if you guys would come find me when this is over so that I can give you some so that you can write some kind words of your own to leave. Um, This morning, I just numbered card number 15,000 which is crazy because um, one, my wrist really hurts and (laughs) two, I don't know that many people in real life but hopefully people are finding them and it's touching their hearts and yeah. So um, I started doing this by myself in 2009 and it has grown so much and we have ambassadors all over the world. It's a global thing now. We've been in China, at the Great Wall of China, um, the Taj Mahal, all kinds of places that I've never dreamed of going. And um, people are taking pictures of their little cards and saying like, hey, I left one here. And then people are finding them and saying, wow, this really touched my heart. It changed my whole day. It made me feel like somebody actually cared. I felt seen, I felt heard, I felt loved. And that's what it's all about. So. Um, Yeah, that's essentially all that I have to say. (laughs) I'm just excited to meet you guys and um, share love with you. So if you're interested, come find me. Thank you.
0: I love the work that Love Everywhere is doing. I love the work that Ashley is doing, and I hope you'll get involved. She passed out cards that night, but you can go on to shareloveeverywhere.com and find out more about how you can get involved. There's also some merch, some swag you can purchase there. Please do that to support the good work that Ashley and her team are doing. And now, before we get into the live podcast recording with Barrett, there were a couple musicians that performed that night, all friends of mine that graciously gave their time to perform for us. Uh, Jenny and Tyler were there. I can't use any of their songs on this podcast recording because of the whole label thing. We couldn't get permission in time. But I'm very pleased that I get to share one of Alex's songs. So Alex Masters is one of my good friends. Spencer and Alex are two of my good friends. They're an amazing family. And Alex Masters, go check her out online. Go check her out on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and online. Buy her music, download it, listen to it. She's amazing. Uh, Just a beautiful voice, a beautiful soul. And here is one of the songs she played that evening. Uh, Just a beautiful song, and it helped Kind of usher us into uh, the live podcast recording. So without further ado, here's Alex Masters performing for us at the live podcast recording.
3: Smacked us on a fast track, no red light stop. Speak to me
0: I love Alex's voice, and I hope you will too after this uh, podcast, after hearing it. Uh, Again, go check her out. Go check out what Ashley's doing. Go check out what Miles is doing. They're all doing incredible work. And now we get to the actual live podcast recording, the the reason that we met that night. I began uh, meeting with Barrett a couple months ago, and from the moment he walked in the room and we sat down over our first drink, I just... I felt like we were kindred spirits. We have a lot of the same um, passions, a lot of the same desires in life, and I really resonated with uh, why Barrett does what he does and how he's still finding his way. He doesn't pretend to have things figured out. I love that. There's a lot of humility, a lot of passion, and Barrett is growing something amazing alongside his team, along with his team. They're growing the brand Fashionable ethically made clothing from around the world, giving thousands of women in the developing world living wages, beyond living wages. And you're going to hear more about the story. I'm not going to give it all away right here, but I know you're going to enjoy the time with Barrett. He's awesome. His story is awesome. He was sick that night, and you're going to hear us chit-chat about that for a minute as as, uh, as soon as we begin. He was sick, but he plowed through it, and we got through the podcast conversation. He did super well. You're going to love hearing his heart. So, I'll shut up now. Let's get right into my live podcast recording. I love saying that it was so much fun. My live podcast recording with Barrett Ward from Fashionable. I'm really glad you're here. I really am. I I this is my fir- this is honestly like my first I've been putting on conferences and events and tour managing for over a decade, but this is my very first event where it's like my thing, I asked you to be here, and you came. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. You ready to go? Let's do this. Okay. Get a good cough out. Do you need a cough drop or something? No. <laughs> are you really sick? Like, are you honestly sick?
4: Um, as far as you know, yeah. I've, as far as... I... I have four sick children. I have four daughters, and two of them were both thrown up last night. Again. oh.
0: So nobody talked to him in case it's that, like, catchy- Let's hug it out thing. before I leave. <laughs> you have hugs and kisses on the cheek?
4: But I'm good now.
0: Okay. Good. I'm glad. Um, so anyway, so let's, let's get started. We'll figure out how to edit all this in. Or maybe we won't edit it at all. Any, seriously, any of you listen to You Made It Weird with Pete Holmes? Anyone? Okay. Right. So Pete Holmes's conversations. You're. You're. You better be. Look, thank your lucky stars that I'm not Pete Holmes because his go for like three hours. Like he will talk for three hours with someone, and he starts recording as soon as they walk in the studio door. So you get all the background stuff and all. The, all of this. So maybe we'll leave it in. I don't know. Get that cough in there. Thank you so much, Barry Ward, for being here tonight. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah. So before we get into the work that you're doing, and what you've made of your life, and uh, how long it took you to figure it out—all of that—I um, want to go back to the very beginning. One of my favorite things to learn about where people's beginnings, because those are the things that, in some way, maybe not heavily, but they influenced who you are today in a lot of ways. So the people, the experiences, the ups, the downs, the ugly, the pretty—all of that shaped you, whether you knew it or not at the time, to be the person you are today. At 36 years old, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the person you are today. So can you take us back as far as you want, talk as little or as long as you want about your story?
4: Well, it's not that fascinating. Fashionable is really interesting. I can't wait to tell you about that. Okay, we'll start but, with your story. Um, yeah, I, I'm married to Rachel, and I have four beautiful daughters. I have a, Rachel's beautiful too. Yes. Can we cut this? Story yes. over? <laughs> no, um, Nope. I'm gonna make. I Rachel have a beautiful wife and four beautiful daughters, Rachel, and um, and you know we live in Nashville, Tennessee. I grew up in Carmel, Indiana. Carmel, Indiana, the Greyhounds, Cricket. <laughs>
0: uh, I've never been there.
4: You know that I would say the only thing about my childhood that I think is interesting is I grew up in a wealthy community, and uh, and that really shaped and set me up for what was to be a later crash in life of all the pursuits of wealth and how it really mm-hmm. was aimless. You know, once you hit the top of the wealth, you realize, gosh, that wasn't what I thought it was gonna be. So that was my youth was growing up and I had a great family and a great community in Carmel. I went to Indiana University mainly because in 1987, Key Smart hit a baseline jumper and I was like, bro, that's where I'm going to college. That's uh, how we all make National our college Championship decisions. Decision. So, I've watched
0: like three basketball games in my life, and I'm not even joking, so that would not have influenced me. You were talking about, or sorry, basketball. You were talking about basketball, right? Yeah, basketball. Okay, yeah, shot. still three, three basketball games. Yeah. So.
4: so I, and then we moved, uh, the, when, I, when I went to Indiana University, my third year in school, I think the first big international move in my life was I studied Japanese language and literature in college, and I moved to Japan, and that was the first time I had ever experienced internationalism. And just realizing how broad and different different cultures are. It was also the first time I ever dealt with culture shock. I remember weeping the first three months in Japan, listening to Shout by Tears for Fears. Shout. Yep. Shout. Let it, let all. it all out. <laughs> uh,
0: what age is this, by the way?
4: Uh, I'm embarrassed to say 21.
0: Okay. But thank you. Keep going. You can um, shout and cry it. I also,
4: and then when I felt really low, I would turn on the soundtrack to Aladdin. And that really pumped me up. Mr. Aladdin, sir.
0: That'll cheer anyone up.
4: It will. Uh, so, and then I moved to Nashville when I was 21. Uh, or soon after college, I should say, with the Southwestern Company. I sold books door-to-door while I was in college. You ever heard of that?
0: Nope. It was you really sold books door-to-door? Door-to-door.
4: It was the hardest thing I ever did. But it was also a really valuable school of hard knocks. It turned me from a marshmallow kid into a... Something a little bit more The guy tough. that would
0: cry at, shout, shout, let it all yeah, out. Yeah, that's too. right.
4: I needed it, clearly. and You so sold then, books
0: door to door. How does door-to-door. that even work? What, what, what books were you selling?
4: Well, there's a lot of crying there as well. Yeah. Uh, a lot of rejection. Just selling like study guides, homework guides for people, for uh, parents and their children to, to commune over on the dining room table. Are there any older
0: folks here that remember getting books sold door to door? That's just not part of Yes?
4: Okay, it's a thing. I apologize.
0: He was probably it if you yeah. grew up in Nashville.
4: Um, And so that's what brought me to Nashville, and then I stayed here, and then um, and the rest is Nashville allure.
0: So you've been here since 22?
4: You know what? That's not true. That's the medicine talking. I've been here since 26. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So what happened between 21 and 26? I don't remember. That's uh, the medicine talking. No, the, I, I actually... Was that the Japan... Was that... Japan was my last year in college, and then I moved to Michigan and sold <laughs> you just books. just skipped for, Michigan, yeah. like just no straight up skipped Michigan. Those are some hard years, too. <laughs> uh, no, I loved Michigan. I lived in East Lansing, and I actually recruited other people to go sell books door-to-door for a few years. I apologize to you folks as well.
0: Okay, so you how did you go from selling books to being a fashion label, own, uh, we'll get to fashionable, what, what it is, but like, wh- what was that transition like?
4: It was actually first, I met this girl named Liz that was really cute, and we started dating, and she told me to go to church, and I was like, yeah, love church, Yeah. and, um, and that was when I was maybe about 28, and so I started going to church, and they talked to me about going on this trip to Peru. And they said, if I go on this trip to Peru, I can go to Machu Picchu and witness and do all these things. And I, I just heard Machu Picchu. I was like, that was cool. Yeah. And so all of a sudden I was on my first, what I later learned while I was there was a mission trip. Uh, you
0: honestly didn't know it was a mission trip until you were on it.
4: I didn't really understand yeah, what that sure. meant. Okay. And so before I knew it, we were doing Bible studies and things like that. We did travel to Machu Picchu, but that trip, the first time, is the first time I've ever seen poverty, up close and personal. And I think that just demonstrates how disproportionately off-track I was. I mm. mean, I just bought my dream car the the month before. I felt like I'd reached the pinnacle, and then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm in Lima, Peru, where I could have bought 300 prefabricada casas, you know, prefabricated mm. houses for people with the car that I just bought, mm. and it just... It all kind of came crashing down. As, as, as crazy as it sounds or radical as it sounds, it didn't feel that weird to me. A few months later, I walked into my boss's office and I was like, I got to go. I got to do something different. And then, mm. and then moved to Africa with a, a company or an organization called African Leadership, which is now Mocha Club here in Nashville, Tennessee. Actually, they're based in Nashville.
0: What age are we at now? I'm just trying to keep track.
4: Somewhere between 28 and 40. Okay. I think it was... <laughs> I think it was I think the
0: wrong night to have a conversation with this guy is like all medicated. Yeah, no, this is the perfect 29, night actually. It was twenty nine years old, I think. 29 29. Or 30. And you were 31. in Africa. Well, where specifically? There's what fifty-six countries in Africa.
4: I went to I landed in Ethiopia and then which is my first country in Africa that we landed in, and I eventually adopted two children from there. It's a very meaningful country to my wife and I. Hmm. And we went to Zambia, South Africa as well, as Zimbabwe and Kenya on that first trip. And that, and that place, you know, I kind of started searching after I left Southwestern, I kind of started searching for what am I supposed to be doing? I went to Ireland to, to do some, you know, work with the poor there. But when I landed in Africa, that was a, a real moment of peace, you know? Hmm. And it was a moment of, oh gosh, this is where I'm supposed to be. And so that became the next chapter for me was working with African leadership full-time, and then we started Mocha Club, and Mocha Club.
0: Okay, before, I wanna ask about Mocha Club, but I also wanna ask you this question. So for some people, as I've done a lot more engaging with people on this topic since I started the podcast, for some people, they have their give a damn moment it's a it's a it's a moment, right? They encounter something, it hits them right in the face, and for others, it's a kind of a gradual process. It's a it may be weeks, months, or years. What was it for you? Was there was it the Africa, or was it uh, some was it Peru? It was Peru. Like, it, was it was Peru.
4: It was watching this little girl. I still have her picture, and I'm going to go ahead and say how shallow I was at this point, and demonstrate that now with this story. Uh, this little girl walks out of her shack, and she was just beautiful, and I watched her walk out of a, a tin shack that was no bigger than the stage in size. And she, you know, like five feet by five feet, for the podcast listeners yeah, see the stage. You. Yes, the stage, yeah, five feet. Very aware. This is bigger than five feet, but you're medicated, so. Yeah, I'm trying. Uh, and she walked out and was dirty. She was filthy, and she grabbed this dirty water to clean off her face, and I just felt like, what am I looking at right now? I have no idea. I've not, I may have seen this on a commercial, but I have not registered what's actually happening, that people live like this versus how I live Mm. when I just thought I'd hit the pinnacle with that new car. And it definitely was seminal for me. I mean, I got back and immediately did, I went crazy. I sold my car. I was done with it all, you know? Um, but that was the moment for me.
0: Tell us about Mocha Club then.
4: Well, Mocha Club was a couple of my friends and I named Matt Wirtz and Dave Barnes helped us start an idea where for the cost of a couple mochas back then, Starbucks was really getting rolling and it was kind of ridiculous for $7 you could buy the cost of a couple mochas. And we were trying to tell a younger generation a story that, look, you can, have a diff- you can make a difference even though you don't think you can. I mean, at that point, the cost of two mokas would have put two children in school for an entire year in Zimbabwe. or would have given, given seven people clean water for an entire year. And so Matt and Dave started telling that story from stage, and it just translated to young people. And we, mm-hmm. did, it, we did it all online. Um, right about that time, MySpace had just come on the scene. And I remember seeing MySpace and thinking, man, this will never die.
0: Mm-hmm. I
4: am going to model this after MySpace. And, and we did it so that people that can invite... Smart. I know, I'm a visionary. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and in fact, it did work. People started inviting all their friends to be a part of the impact. It really empowered a generation of young people, I think, to get involved. That's awesome. It was fun.
0: That's awesome. Fun this is friends. super side note. Do you guys know who Dave Barnes is? Anyone? Dave Barnes, nod your heads. So Dave Barnes is hella funny. Like, I can't get over how... Like, he's a great musician as well. Is he funny? This is not this has nothing to do with the podcast, but I have to ask it. Is he f- as funny like just like just chill Dave like hanging out with Dave on the couch Dave is he that funny because we look at his Instagram stories and just can't my wife and I just roll yeah like we he's roll on the floor really laughing
4: he's really mean and he's not funny really no, is not that, at no all. okay I was gonna say I was he's, gonna say um, he's even I think he's funnier in person than really oh like, that's yeah. okay you gotta hook that up. We, gotta have right, right, out. Well. we just sit
0: there look at his Dave Instagram. You, something funny. Do something You guys follow him on Instagram? He does these like things with all the eye or he does, maybe it's Snapchat, but he does like the, the different like filters and stuff. And it's so funny. Like we just can't even stand it. That has nothing to do with the podcast. No. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so I am really, so let's, let's move now to fashionable. Um, I spent seven t- since from 13 to about three years ago, I was engaged in humanitarian, social good, nonprofit work, and almost it was almost exclusively so seventeen years basically it was almost exclusively charity work, mm. which I thought was the way, and I mean I, I definitely felt that because that's what I was engaged in over and over again. I would move from organization to this project to that project, and it was all charity based, none of it was sustainable and probably subconsciously. I'm not like the typical white man savior that a lot of people think about, like I'm Guatemalan myself. But I think probably that was part of the complex going in was like, we can, fly, we can drop in here. We can spend, you know, I spent four, six, seven weeks in some of these places uh, doing this incredible like work that only I could do or we could do coming in. And the change in the last three years has been that uh, charity work is great and it's fine and it's needed during certain Phases. phases, right? Especially after tragedies and in different times. But what, but there are so many huge issues that have still not been addressed or fixed after so many years of charity work. So it doesn't work, you know, completely. It doesn't it work a like we solution. thought. It's not yeah. a complete solution. So you have chosen to engage with your company in something that I'm super passionate about and want to spend the rest of my life engaged in in some way or another, whether it's Investing in, or working in, or doing something with, because that's really the solution: is giving people work, giving people meaningful work that helps them get out of the situation they're in. Right? So I'm really excited about what Fashionable is doing. That's Me why too. you're here tonight. I know you are too. We've uh, we've hung out a few times, and I'm I, I hear the passion. I see what you guys are doing. So for anybody here that maybe they know about it, but they haven't heard it from your mouth, they haven't heard it from your perspective. So tell us, tell us the all about.
4: Well, how about Yeah, I can talk about how it started. My wife, Rachel, and I, when we got married a couple months later, moved to Ethiopia. And while we were there, I was working with Mocha Club and working primarily with vulnerable women and vulnerable children. And while we were there, I saw all these girls on the streets waving at me, and I just thought everybody was really friendly. And I came to find out that sex traffic in, in Ethiopia was extraordinarily high. And so I I decided, well, that makes me mad. I mean, that was really, Mm -hmm. I was angry seeing these little girls try to solicit me. And then you come to find out that they're making 25 cents to a dollar per trick. And the justice in you just wells up. And I wanted to get involved with Mocha Club. So we aligned with an organization that was rehabilitating women coming out of prostitution. And as we heard their stories, um, it was fascinating. I... I think my perceptions going in of what it meant to be in the sex industry or to be a prostitute was pretty demeaning of these women. But then I hear these stories of women. I met one woman that went into the sex industry to, to help pay for her sister's surgery for breast cancer. Mm. And so all of a sudden you realize these women are making heroic, extraordinary sacrifices to do what they do for their family. Things that I can't even imagine having to do. And so to serve them was our pleasure. You know, we, I I wrote a blog post when I was living there called, I need Africa more than Africa needs me, because I think I had gone in with what you said, that mentality of, I really can't wait to help. And then it really just becomes your pleasure to serve as you realize these are the blessed, you know. Mm -hmm. So we started working with these women and giving them this charitable arm of, which was critical, it gave them healthcare, 75% of the women were HIV positive. It gave them uh, emotional, you know, counseling and group counseling and nutrition and all these kind of things they needed to get back on their feet. But the thing I consistently heard from them was, once we get back on our feet, what are you going to do about that? Because I still don't have any more skills. I will have to go right back to what I was doing. And so that was kind of seminal moment number two. And... So my wife and I were at the marketplace one day looking at these scarves that they make in Ethiopia. And I said, are those cool? Is that why you're buying them? Or are you buying them because they're from Ethiopia? And she said, no, these are really beautiful. And so that was the light bulb moment. Weaving had been around since the time of Queen of Sheba in Ethiopia. She's a real person. And we taught these three women, Bezawayu, Mulu, and Mesalu, to start making scarves. And we launched them in October of 2010 and within about a month and a half sold somewhere around 4,123 scarves. Wow. And so we realized this is something that consumers are identifying with. And so look, I massively believe in charity. Charity is critical to get people, there are people that are just totally destitute in life. They have to get there. But I think where charity continues on, often economic opportunity has to pick up. And so the real goal of fashionable, was that if we are going to end generational poverty, we have to, number one, be creating jobs, and number two, we have to be doing so for women. And doing it for women is not just a heart issue. In fact, it is socially, scientifically proven that it is the most effective way to fight poverty because when a woman is given a job, the impact that she has on her community is honestly far more significant than a man. Whereas a man will spend 30 to 40% of his money on his family, a woman will spend 90% on her family. So that equals healthcare, education. So working with women for us wasn't just of the heart, and it is, it's primarily driven by that, or initially driven by that, but what sustains us is that we believe this is the solution to ending extreme poverty, is creating jobs. I'm down. Let's do it. <laughs>
0: I like it. So what, is it, what does it look like today? So that's an amazing vision, and I'm all excited and want to get everybody else. Well, they're probably already excited, and let's, let's do this together. So what does it look like? How does that, what does it look like today? What is, what is fashionable?
4: Well, that's a good question. So we're actually going through kind of a, an evolution of our brand. And right now we have... Uh, We sell denim, we sell shoes, we sell apparel. Uh, But all of that, selling all that stuff is about a bigger strategy. Would you like to hear what the bigger strategy is?
0: 100%.
4: All right then. So I think for me, a couple years into social entrepreneurship, I started becoming a little disillusioned by how many people were starting things and kind of attaching a storyline or a social good to it. And I'm not saying they weren't good or bad or j- justified or not, but I think the community of social entrepreneurship was getting watered down pretty deeply. I mean, sure. would you guys affirm that it's kind of a dime a dozen right now? Yeah. And I just felt like, what are we doing to prove it? I remember a young person coming up to me after a speech going, I, I just think what you guys are doing so, is so amazing. And I thought to myself, but you don't really know. I just told you a couple stories. Mm -hmm. And so it made me feel like we've got to prove this. And so for the last two years, the thing that just sticks in my mind is picturing, if I'm lucky enough to stand in front of St. Peter, I don't think he's going to give me a high five for how many bags we sold. And it frightens me to picture him saying, you know, you really marketed a lot more about women than you invested in making sure that that work was effective. Hmm. And those kind of things keep me up. I think to myself, I should not be able to enjoy the fruits of my labor and we shouldn't be able to enjoy the things that we consume at the expense of somebody else who makes those products not having their basic necessities met
0: Hmm.
4: or being able to meet their own basic necessities through that job, right? So... What we've been developing over the last few years is a way to track that social impact, and we're launching that actually next month. And it's kind of born out of this thought process. You know, 60, 70 million people are in the manufacturing space right now in the fashion world. And 75% of those are women. And the biggest impact... And the biggest challenge is, is that almost, well, on average, uh, they live, make far less than a living wage, almost half of a living wage. And so for them to be able to sustain their needs is difficult. So what we have is this very dumb cycle in the world right now where we pay low wages in these countries like China and, and all over the world. And then those factories that pay low wages end up not being able to take care of their, or the families end up not being able to take care of their health care. The women cannot take care of their children and often end up bringing them in and that equals child labor. And it's not because these factory owners are evil, it's because women need to bring their children to work in order to sustain a life. And then the next thing that happens is nonprofit world comes in and they go into those communities and mission trips go in and they give school uniforms to send those kids to school. Um, healthcare, and those mission trips are important. Like, healthcare goes over from the States, and, and doctors will go over and do a mission trip for a week in a community. And then the next part of the cycle is that these huge brands, huge brands, will give what ultimately amounts to penance to those charities in order to market that on their website, mm. right? And tell how they're doing good in those communities where they manufacture. Whereas if they just started the cycle over and actually paid those women well and paid them a living wage, then all those other issues start to go away. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so for us, what we've been trying to figure out is how do we create, you know, the words of movement, although I'm kind of tired of that word. Yeah, sure. But how do we create and empower the consumer to know that they're, that they're, Choice in clothes or handbag or jewelry is not doing any harm. So that's what we've been trying to figure out the last couple of years. Now, to be clear, we work with women in Peru, we work with women in Ethiopia, and we work with women right here in Nashville, Tennessee, that have all overcome extraordinary circumstances. But the, but the thing is, is that story doesn't necessarily empower the consumer to make a really clear decision. Sure. So what we're going to do is... Um, We're going to launch Accountable this fall in October, but in the spring of next year, in order to try to force manufacturing world, to force the manufacturing world to follow suit, we're going to be the first company in the world that I know of to start publishing the wages of our our workers, of our garment workers. And we feel like if we can market that well enough, that a 16-year-old girl gets excited about it, kind of in that one-for-one-ish way and goes, ooh, hashtag publish your wages, and aren't these jeans super cute? (laughs) And take a picture of herself wearing it, and she's kind of excited about how it looks on her, but she's also excited to tell the story of publishing your wages. If we can get people like this crowd to actually care enough and excited enough to go, you know what? Yeah, why aren't you name a brand? I don't want to name a dog brand, but name a brand that's not doing those things. Why don't you publish sure. your wages? Then we could actually, because I think there's going to be a collective moment when we start publishing wages where the big boys are going to go, oh,
0: probably, if you do it well.
4: If we do it well, and that's the key. So that's yeah. what we're fighting for. We want to start publishing women's wages and, and, and make people get r- truly, radically, and disruptively transparent. Yeah, That's what's next.
0: So no one's doing this right now, though.
4: I've never seen it done. There's there's brands that say, of this garment, there's twelve dollars of labor in it. Sure, but that but the, not doesn't specifically really down a to woman.
0: the person. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm excited about that. I'm Me excited. too. And so that's happening next month in October.
4: Well, we're launching Accountable. Accountable in October, and that those are the social audits, and it's going to be a storyline that we continue to the next spring where we published wages. So if you start following us now, you'll see the launch in March of next year.
0: I love it. Why do you, why do you give a damn? Hmm. Like talk, take me inside, take me inside. Like what, what drives you? You're a smart businessman. You, you probably could be doing a lot of things that honestly would make you more money and it, it could look a lot different. And yet you choose to engage this really hard like probably fun, but hard work of do like this accountable thing. You're gonna, you're not gonna be everyone's favorite person in the fashion industry when you do that. Right. i ain't so, like, trying to make so, no friends. Yeah, sure. Um, so why do you do it? Like, what's what's driving that?
4: You know, I would love to say that I I I have a grand belief that drives me, or something internally that I've decided. But honestly. If I look back at the track record of what I've done, it's just kind of been stumbling over the next thing in front of me. You know, I mean, it's not like I decided to move to Ethiopia courageously. My wife was the one that moved to, wanted to move to Ethiopia. And it was through our experience of being there and hanging out with some friends, you know, that we, they said, you should go talk to people in the sex industry if you really care about that, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, I just feel like I'm following the lead. And I don't, I feel like I know whose lead it is. Um, but I just feel like I'm following the lead. And the lead has led me when I look back down a pretty clear path hmm. of wanting to empower women. The first thing I ever did at Mocha Club was start a project that worked with 500 women that were formerly sex slaves in Uganda out of that Lord's Resistance Army. And I, but it wasn't like I was like, I'm going to start working to empower women. It's just looking back what was in front of me. And then all of a sudden I've got four daughters. Bam!
0: There it is. The people in this room and the people listening on this podcast, I believe are here, well, at least most of them are here, because they they want to figure out what is their thing or what are their things. From the experiences that you have, from the things that you've learned, what advice, what wisdom could you share? For They want to do it. They want to jump. You know, they want to jump off the edge and right into it. They're scared. Got school debt, uh, it could be yeah. a number, lots of things. Kids, work, we, we can always come up with excuses, but what would you recommend for, based on your experience the things you've gone through to help them just go for it?
4: Well, you know, first of all, I'm not a big jump off the ledge kind of guy. Um, I'll talk about, for me, what I think, which is actually slower and more safe. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not that brave. Uh, I, I told you that when I started Fashionable, you know, I don't think it looks that brave. Um, it's a nice shower that I was laying in, but I don't think it looks that cool to be laying on a bathroom floor in fetal position, crying your eyes out, hoping it all stops and goes away. I don't think it's that cool when your two-year-old walks in and goes, what's wrong with daddy? Hmm. Nothing, honey. Daddy's fine. <laughs> um, So it was hard for me. It Mm. was hard for me. But there is Lexapro. That that was very helpful. (laughs) I don't know what that is, but I'm glad it was helpful for you. It was very helpful. Um, Some of you guys know what it is. So, you know, I'm not the courageous one. But what I will say is I think for me it wasn't about theorizing all day long about what I wanted to get involved with, and it wasn't about philosophizing how do I get involved with it. Uh, it was about simply going and getting involved. Mm. And the advice I always give to anybody, young or old, if they want to try to start that next trajectory is, well, how much time do you have in your life right now? Well, how many hours a week could you contribute? And if you've looked at two different things that you might want to get involved with, you're kind of like questioning, do I want to get involved in the arena of service versus You're proselytizing, then, uh, then do both. For a couple Mm. hours a week. I mean, that's just a couple episodes of Law & Order. Yeah. And so go get involved and experience and see what moves your heart. Yeah. I don't think it's that hard to give just a little bit. Mm. And if you're sitting there kind of on your chair praying, God, show me. He may do it for you. He may give you that burning bush. Yeah. And or he may just like would like you to get involved and... And just, just see do what it. it's like. Yeah. So I would just say volunteer. Get involved with something. I have a young lady that met with me the other day that um, last week that is doing just that very smart. She's working in e-commerce, uh, but can't leave that job for another six months and said, Can I start volunteering my time? And that's just smart. That's making herself indisposable, demonstrating her heart and her service. That's the way to do it. For me.
0: That makes sense. First of all, law and order is terrible.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, not special s- victims unit, but move on. <laughs>
0: But second of all, I think that that even impacts me more because you're not the, you know, it's very good advice. Not the courageous type, fetal position in the shower, but still just chose to do it anyway. And that's what I think is the important thing is uh, not waiting around for some grand sign for some the skies to open up and for some like name or some title to show up, but you just did it. You started doing things, you started trying things, you started seeing what worked, what didn't work, what moved your heart, what moved yeah. your soul, what moved your life. And you found it.
4: Yeah, it wasn't until I was in it that I found it. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's really great advice. That's really great advice. Um, what's coming up besides Accountable that you're excited about as we begin to wrap up here? Like what, what's, the, what's the future hold for you?
4: You know, for me, so I, I want, the reason we launched all these lines, and I kind of mentioned this strategy before, but the reason we launched all these collections of shoes and denim and apparel and jewelry and bags is not because we wanted to be this massive lifestyle brand, but when we launch Accountable and when we launch Publishing Wages and we get kind of that massive hit moment from that, we want people to be able to come to Fashionable and say, you know what? I can make all my responsible choices right here. Hmm. And you know what? A pair of jeans, a really nice pair of jeans, cost $128, but what we're really hoping to do is slow down that fast fashion movement. I think that it's funny that people might look at a pair of jeans like that and say, well, I, I just can't afford hundred dollars pair of jeans, but not realize in the same moment, they did just go buy two $60 pairs of jeans. Right. So why do you deserve two pairs as opposed to one pair? And, and thinking that way, well, you don't need two shirts for 16 each, get one for 32, that you know is doing no harm. And that's the choice that we want to give people. And I think if we can make it really simple, that I think the consumer can grab onto that. It doesn't need to be overly difficult or high-minded. We want to just be able to speak to consumers and say, look, here's an easy way for you to make a good choice. Here's all the facts. Here's radical, disruptive transparency for you to make a choice by. And we've kind of got everything you need. I mean, these are some really cute pants. And so that's, that's the dream. That's the dream, that people can um, have a way. Because to, you know the truth of the, it is, the way this world is working right now, it's not trying to genuinely give that transparency, transparency to the consumer. Mm. It's trying to market a level of transparency, but it's not truly trying to give them the, the tools that they need to make a good choice by. So that's the big thing coming up for us, is just trying to hope to change consumer behavior. I have a hypothetical
0: question for you. Someday, well, this is not hypothetical. Someday you are going to die, right? I hope it's a long time from now and you get to do so many things with Fashionable, loving so many people, serving so many people. The hypothetical part is that I will be giving your eulogy, uh, your family, <laughs> your friends, all the, all the women that, you've, that you and your company have been able to help. Like, There's so many people there, right? That have been loved and served by you and they're better off because they met you and worked with you and so on and so forth. They're all there to honor your life and celebrate your life. And again, the hypothetical is that I'm there giving your eulogy. What do you hope that I would say about you on that day to the people that you've affected the most?
4: So, it's gonna sound probably pretty cheesy, but the reality is, I just want to be a good dad. Um, I've got four daughters, and I, I love coming to work most days, and some days I don't. Uh, there's days where it's just a JOB. And then there's moments and times where we really do something special. But I don't want to take a lot of stock in things that I can't touch and spend time with, and experience deeply, and you can't experience as an Excel spreadsheet that deeply, um, but every day that I come home, my six-year-old's kind of over it, but my four-year-old and one-year-old still freak out, and, and there's nothing I've ever done at work, I'm telling you the truth, that brings me the joy that those moments do, and just the time that I get to spend with them, so I really just hope that the legacy that I leave is just healthier daughters than I was. I just want to move the needle a little bit farther than I've been in my life with my daughters to be able to love better, to be able to cherish each other better, to be more vulnerable with each other, to understand how to be patient and have margin in their heart for those that are afflicted, to look out for the little guy. I just uh, hope you can say you saw me be a good dad
0: Love that! I love that. For those that are sitting here and for those that are listening, what do you want them to check out? Find out more about you. Find out more about the. I'm work. gonna do some where, photo
4: ops where I'll be doing um, fetal position on the ground in the front <laughs> here.
0: Little like little, little artwork. Yeah, it'll be art, yeah. right?
4: Well, you know the the we are doing. We're, we're changing our name in about a month to ABLE. So they should come. Check out our website, get signed on for the, um, just Google the word fashionable right now and we're, we're, we're the tops. Uh, but we're changing to able because that represents the past and the future. The past of fashionable, when you look at our logo, it's a capital A-B-L-E. And the past is that when we first started, those women coming out of the commercial sex industry would write a note that would say, because of your purchase, I am able to, and she would write a note of what she was able to do, which was either feel dignity in her work or send our children to school. But the future is accountable. And so that's the next ABLE. And so we're mm. just taking and pulling out the ABLE, and that's the new brand that we'll have going forward. So I'd love people to check that out and spread the news this, this, uh, this Christmas holiday.
0: You're not on social media that much.
4: I've tried uh, personally, to find you. No, I think yeah. I'm still
0: waiting for you to accept my Facebook friend to request you not
4: even I don't even look at it, man. I'm so sorry.
0: <laughs> so check out Fashionable, which will become ABLE. keep up up that way. Yep. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. My pleasure. I'm really glad we got to share some of the story. Will you guys help me thank Barrett for being here tonight? Thank you. Friends, thank you for joining Barrett and me today and Miles and Ashley and Alex and everyone else that was there that night. I'm so glad that you got to peek into our live event a little bit. Um, you will not be able to find Barrett actively engaging anywhere on social media. He's kind of a social media hermit. Usually I give the social media handles and all that. You're not really going to find him and You're going to wait a long time for your Facebook friend request because I still am. And he's my friend, but fashionable on the other hand is very active. You'll love following along with them. So go to livefashionable.com. They're on social media at Live Fashionable. And as, as Barrett shared in the podcast episode, that brand is changing soon. So go and follow those accounts so you'll get notifications and you'll see when the brand actually changes. So many amazing things ahead for them. I'm so excited. Make sure you follow along. You can follow me at Nick LaPara everywhere. You can follow Let's Give a Damn at Let's Give a Damn everywhere. And if you like this podcast and want to see us continue making podcasts for a long time to come, Here are a few quick ways you can help. As I wrap up, leave us a review, five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend they should listen. Share an episode on social media. Take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram story or whatnot. Or you can send a few bucks our way by going to patreon.com forward slash let's give a damn. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash let's give a damn. In fact, like 10 minutes before recording these sound bits for the podcast, I got another email from another person who has now signed on to become a patron with us so another five dollars a month going toward making these podcasts so very grateful for your participation that way if you'd like to do that patreon.com forward slash let's give a damn that's all for this week this was a fun one a little longer than normal i hope you're having fun learning a lot giving more dams than ever before i love you can't wait to hang out with you next week bye for now